welcome rajesh um hey akshit so glad to have you it's it's truly an honor to have you on the podcast web3 thought and action rajesh the podcast web3 thought and action is all about inviting entrepreneurs veterans academicians like you who have who are sort of veterans right that's the ideal word to uh, um, describe you in just one word you're the veteran in the industry you are a pioneer who think ahead probably 5 years 10 years ahead in the industry and then bring that technology to today so this is a chance that i really love to interact with people like you to mm-hmm. learn as much as we can from you in this time capsule about what really is web3 what really is blockchain and more so what really happens on the ground it's it's sometimes too difficult for young professionals young students who are reading and learning about the technology online to really understand okay what really happens behind the scenes i like the technology great potential where do i see myself in this technology so all the right. people are curious and enthusiastic about the technology they don't know where to start what do they do from their vantage point what do i do right so um, with that said uh, rajesh i want to give you the floor uh, just tell us about yourself um, just yeah let, let's begin from there Sherman, uh, so it's an absolute pressure to be on this particular uh, podcast. Uh, thanks for reaching out, uh, Akshit. Uh, f- from my journey perspective, you know, uh, uh, from an education background, I have bachelor's in business management, master's in financial management. Uh, then I went on to do executive program in management, one year program at Columbia Business School, uh, uh, wherein I not only became an alum of uh, that particular school but also had the opportunity of re- uh, running the columbia business school alumni club in india for few years as the co-leader of that uh, particular uh, alumni club um started my career with uh, tata group worked in the telecom area uh, those were the days uh, when people were talking about telecom as the means to transform everything it was the onset of 2g and then it was moving from 2g to 3g where mobile internet was considered to be the biggest game changer uh, from uh, for telecommunications industry and also the commerce industry that is supported by telecommunications right after that uh, i joined a serial entrepreneur called raman roy is also known as the father of indian bpo industry uh, was part of the entrepreneurial journey with him where we incubated six different businesses and sold four in the end over a period of about 12 and a half years after that i took uh this particular role in tech mahendra where i was uh, hired circa uh, may 2018 primarily to set up the blockchain practice for uh, tech mahendra my role was primarily to make blockchain relevant for businesses blockchain relevant for the end customers and over a period of time i also ran the cybersecurity practice for tech mahendra and then established the metaverse practice for tech mahendra now i lead everything that falls under emerging technology as a global business leader for tech mahendra that's that's essentially about me that is essentially about you and that is a mighty words coming from a mighty man so really really honored honestly to have you here and uh, you know it's awesome it's been 5 years like you said circa 2018 may 2018 when you started the practice right. to take blockchain from just a word 
in an emerging technology article to actually in reality at Tech Mahindra. For the listeners, Rajesh, could you please help us understand um, in simple words, what is blockchain? What is blockchain, I'll ask you. Yeah, in terms of, you know, in simple terms, uh, blockchain is nothing but a distributed method of keeping records. Uh, where everybody uh, knows in terms of a transaction that is contained in the record, even before it is exposed to that particular person. So, for instance, I'll give you a simple example, since it is aimed at students. Uh, students pay monthly fees, quarterly fees, half-yearly fee, and exam fee to the college. And uh, you know, you, once you have paid the fees, uh, the student keeps a record of that transaction. The college keeps a record of that transaction. But what student keeps a record, the college is not aware, and vice versa. And things tend to become, uh, you know, friction-oriented when exams are approaching and you get a notice from the college, your fees is due. Because the fees is due, you cannot appear for the exam. Uh, in as per you, you have paid the fees, but as per the school, the you have not paid the fees. So what do you do? You go to the uh, admissions office and then you uh, dish out the receipts of the payment. If you have done it electronically, you keep the record of those electronic transactions and then give it to the school person. And the school person comes back and says, hey, sorry, there was some problem with our bookkeeping. There was some problem in the way we recorded. We are really, we are really, really sorry for this particular uh, event. And then now you can go ahead and give your exam. While it is sorted out, think about the anxiety it creates for the students and think about in terms of the amount of time that they need to spend to convince the school or the college authority. Unfortunately, it's the college authority which needs to be convinced because they are in the power of authority and we are at the receiving end of the service, right? It does not uh, work. Seldom it works the other way, the student cannot say, I have paid, you better go and check your records. As far as I'm concerned, I have paid, you better check your records and nobody can stop me from giving the exam. It's not going to happen in that way. That is the old method of bookkeeping. And we call that as a centra uh, centralized method. Uh, wherein the school keeps a record of every transaction for all the students. Uh, the students do not know in terms of what those transactions are. And let's say if that education is funded by the bank, the student takes the bank loan and pays to the school. And the school, uh, the bank which is funding that will also don't know how the school is writing those transactions or recording those transactions. Now steps in blockchain. Uh, wherein using blockchain, uh, the the ledger or the record that the school is using to store the transactions, you also have access to it. And then you're watching. For instance, you paid the fees, and then you're watching on the ledger that uh, the the aspect of paying the fee by you has not been recorded. So do you wait really till the end of the exams for this to be discovered? No, you will not wait till the end of the exams. And if the, you have paid money, the transaction is not written. In earlier case, you do not know because it's opaque to you. You do not have access to those books. But now you have access to the books. And if the transaction is not written, then you could ask the school, 
saying, hey, it's been about a few days. I made this uh, fee to you. And then I see that you have not recorded the transaction. And I want to check because I don't want to really wait till the exams come around the corner. And then I waste my time, energy, and effort unnecessarily to resolve because just because you have not written that transaction. So one, which is being opaque, it has become completely transparent. Not only the student has access to it, the parents may also have access to it, or the person from whom the person, uh, the student has taken money. It could be a bank, it could be a credit union, it could be a thrift, or whatever it is. They also have access to that particular transaction, and they all agree that yes, uh, this is the amount of fee that need to be paid for a semester. The fee has been paid, and there will be no questions asked henceforth. And suppose if there are some questions that are going to be asked, for example, the anxiety aspect that I mentioned to you, now the student can write a smart contract with the school saying that now that I have paid and you have also validated that, you have also provided access to the transaction, my bank is also aware of that. Later, should you get into a situation where you dispute the transaction or say that I have not paid, you have to penal, uh, you will be penalized and you have to compensate for me for that anxiety which has been caused because it's a genuine transaction uh, every party is aware of that transaction which technically is called as a consent and everything is recorded tomorrow if somebody had to question and you don't want to go through the pain of answering them you could do a smart contract with the school and say that uh, now that you have authorized the transaction i've authorized the transaction tomorrow i should not be put to undue duress if i'm put to undue duress then as per this contract, uh, you have to pay me because it is already uh, uh, already a legit transaction which has been acknowledged by you and acknowledged by everybody else. And that information needn't be just between the school and the student or the school student and the bank. It could be with admissions office, it could be with examination office, it could be with other students, or it could be with the teacher. Sometimes the teacher also can get misled, right, in terms of the professor or the uh, person who is manning the examination hall may get a list saying that you have not paid money. Sorry, as per the school policy, you're not allowed to take the exam because your fees is due. So that's, that is where the blockchain comes into place. Uh, it helps people to use a common book or a ledger to record all the transactions. All the people agree about a transaction at the time the record is written, and they also agree that these transactions are immutable. They cannot be questioned. They cannot be revoked at a later point of time. In sim most simplest terms, that is blockchain for you. That is blockchain for us. That, that's very nicely explained. I think you took us through the whole process, also explained how each of the stakeholders, so to speak, the students, what could happen on their side, what could happen on the school side, and also what could happen on the bank side, right? So, uh, Rajesh, uh, about this example, thinking more, probably peeling a couple of layers. Right. Where does this all begin from, right? Because the reason I'm asking is here we're talking about blockchain, 
right. established and now these players are interacting with the blockchain and right. today's problems which is not clear not tracking right. for example who creates this blockchain does the school yeah so absolutely and the genesis has been because of the trust gap that has been created by the governments and the government authorities right uh, today for example there is a lot of trust gap on the internet and uh, the, uh, the the people who give you the search engines can be uh, they are the only ones who are empowered to address that trust gap you and me cannot do because if there is uh, some fake news you take it on the face value but the intermediaries like the googles of the world the bings of the world uh, they will know exactly in terms of what is the genesis of this particular information and is it uh, is it uh, fake or is it real number one number two look at the mortgage crisis which kind of triggered the recession around uh, the year 2006 and 2008 and it is an established fact that a lot of this mortgage crisis has been triggered because of uh, banks were lending uh, to people without uh, adequacy of the documents and without the completeness of the documents for example if the documents are inadequate and later when a person uh, does not agree to pay defaults of the loan there is nothing that you could do because the documents are inadequate and the person can easily mm, rebuke saying that hey i have not even borrowed this particular kind of a loan and then the other thing is also coming from the might of intermediaries uh for example if you uh, if you look at uh, the payments world which has now become so ubiquitous right in terms of uh, multiple levels of payment which are basically web payments mobile payments digital payments and various other payments which do not sit in the realm of cash payments anything outside the cash payment and uh, merchants need to have access to that customers also need to have access to that and there are intermediaries who are facilitating it it could be you know payment networks like mastercard visa or it could be discover or whatever is the payment network that comes in between now what happens is uh, for example if there is a small merchant and the merchant uh, you know uh, got a transaction and then in the goodness of the transaction the merchant shipped the goods to the recipient and there's a complaint from somebody else saying that these goods have been bought with my payment information and not the recipient's payment information it could be some other person's credit card some other person's debit card but the transaction has been authorized uh, when that claim comes it is called as a chargeback claim technically and these payment companies what they do is they investigate and unfortunately the the rules are so draconian that the rules are formulated in such a manner that they protect the end customer rather than the merchant now if uh, the payment company uh, decides saying that yes this is was a fraudulent transaction the the uh, you know the credit card information belongs to somebody else and somebody else has bought that good so the payment company does not go to that user and then tell the user saying you uh, send the merchandise back instead they go and tell the merchant saying you have been found wanting in terms of exercising your due diligence 
and it's this is a scam transaction a fraudulent transaction so they just go and charge back the merchant for that value so it's a double whammy for the merchant one the merchant has lost the merchandise and the merchant has also lost the payment on top of that to preempt and prevent these kind of situation that's how the first peer to peer electronic cash system which the world also knows as bitcoin was assembled by the alleged inventor satoshi nakamoto where he said that the small merchants have to get on to internet but the small merchants will not have the might of those big merchants and banks and payment companies will not be in favor of the small merchants so we need to architect a payment system which cannot be scammed which cannot be duped and the payments uh, and the merchants do not end up uh, paying a double whammy because of these kind of incidents so everything is originating from two components if you analyze one is the trust trust gap which could be there because you've trusted people on the face of it and then you authorized the transaction later you found that you've been duped so that's a trust gap the second one is reversible transactions so in this case the payment company just goes analyzes unfortunately reverses the transaction and the merchant takes a hit so you need to reduce the trust gap on one end or eliminate it and the second end you need to create irreversible transactions once you have eliminated the trust gap where is the need to have a reversible transaction it has to be an irreversible transaction keeping this in view the entire blockchain system got uh, conceptualized and the first commercial application of blockchain which is bitcoin has come into existence number 1 number 2 if you and me transact can we have a payment system which doesn't necessarily go through the central bank currency it's you and me who are transacting why do i need the central bank a uh, fed or a reserve bank of india to come in between and then use the instrument that they have issued which is the currency note that is because again you and me have a trust gap that's why we are using some third parties instrument to facilitate the transaction between both of us so now can i invent a payment system where it is inherently trustable no single person can manipulate it and you don't have to use an instrument which has been conceived and configured by a third party which is the central bank if you want to eliminate the central bank and get into a peer to peer payment independent of those intermediaries that's where again blockchain comes into existence so blockchain did not appear just like a eureka moment for uh, some thinker or the person who conceived it it was conceptualized primarily to address innate problems that exist in the world today whether it is um, small merchants to end customers or whether it is peer to peer transactions or later when we get into a scenario it could be a nano transaction micro transaction you know minutest of the transaction good example you're driving your ev vehicle you're run out of charge you have to borrow on somebody's charging station you don't need entire charging station you need a dash charge probably for few minutes you may not want to pay for 
uh, one hour because you just did a dash charge for a few minutes so that you can go to your place of destination, whether your office or home, where you have access to the charger. Now, the question is, how do you facilitate that kind of payment again? Uh, yeah, people may do it for charity once or twice, but uh, they may not give their charger to you always free of cost. In that kind of a scenario, again, if, you know, it's a peer-to-peer -peer use case. You've taken a charger of somebody else and you've applied it to your car. If that is the case, why do you have to uh, pay a cut to a central bank or to Fed? For example, if you have paid through the bank, you have to pay tax on that transaction may not be in the United States, but in several countries, it's called as services. And then the country levies what is called as a goods and service tax, which is very common in UK as well as US. So it is your requirement only for a short period of time. And for that service where the government was not involved at all, you end up paying uh, a charge to the government and then you end up paying a cut uh, to the card authorizing company because you have used the payment infrastructure. So if you have to circumvent all of that and then just pay the end person direct one-to-one -one basis where the end person also believes in that form of payment, that's where blockchain comes into picture. I think we are on to a great start. Uh, all these examples, real world use cases, what really helps yeah. to break it down? Um, help to clear the myth that this is yeah. very technical, very unnatural for us and brings it home. Uh, when we look at, okay, in real life, okay, we do all these transactions. We go exactly. to school, we pay money there. We go to merchants, we buy, we buy merchandise there. So this is how we will interact with blockchain. Rajesh, uh, one thing that you said was really interesting and I want to double click on that piece. You talked yeah. about the trust gap, right? The whole reason blockchain is coming into the picture is because it's in person i mean it does not involve a person it is not yeah. centralized so the trust gap that two parties yeah. have which intermediaries solve which could be governments which could be these banks like you said mastercard visa and the likes so the trust gap currently is taken care of by these intermediaries right. hopefully blockchain will solve that issue and blockchain will be become the um, layer to solve the trust right. gap. Right. My question is between these <clears throat> intermediaries, going back to your example of a customer and a merchant, right? How do they develop trust for this blockchain, which they have never interacted with? So right. what happens today in my life? What changes today that I start on probably use a new payment system, which is again a big thing, right? I cannot change to a new uh, way of okay. um, exchanging money. So could you break us down in terms of how blockchain really solves the trust gap, which is in our minds when we think about new technology? Right. And right. what do we do today? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, uh, you know, uh, eliminating the trust gap comes uh, because you're you're uh, getting into a scenario where one person cannot manipulate the entire system. 
that that is the main thing with with the, with the current systems what happens is everything is centralized for example you take the banking system of a bank it's centralized and it's guarded one time two times three times over but if one person is able to have unauthorized access to that and that one person is able to manipulate it right and then until and unless it is detected you do not know whether it is being manipulated or not the mortgage industry in united states where after the crisis everybody understood that it was being uh, used and abused multiple times over and until and unless the crisis uh, broke loose the hell broke loose that's where everybody figured it out that's because your inherent ability to gain complete control of the system and manipulate it without the intention of others that becomes the central theme now when comes blockchain uh, that theme is not applicable because as i told you uh, the in the scenario of a school and a student that a transaction the student has every right to know how they are recording that particular transaction you know if the other party is recording it on for example uh you know you can ask for a statement definitely you can ask for a statement but what assures you that the statement that they have given you is different to the uh, record that they have kept at the back end you do not know what is the record that they have kept at the back end right that is where it has to be done from source to the point of consumption another good example i'll give you uh many a times Uh, you me and the others who are listening to this conversation have gone to a shop a grocery shop or uh, 711 or uh, or any other market uh, you know or walmart and then you see there are two choices of apples that you have one is an apple which is organically grown and another one is an apple which is non organic and the price difference would be maybe 15 cents to half a dollar depending upon the brand now uh, the apple which has been grown organically has a small sticker which says that organically grown apple and your trust is coming from the brand right it could be you know uh, it could be dr smith apple granny apple or whatever it is and you believe innately and inherently that company does not manipulate so it is based on a perception it is based on a feel good factor how much does it take for a person to print stickers like that and put it on the apple and sell it as an organic apple so everything you're going to take it on the face value and your innate trust in the brand because you believe that they will not violate their brand promise but it's it's a non sustainable uh, proposition uh, if you know uh, people now will ask it's okay your brand promise is pardon uh, i'm just thinking uh, well uh, this system has sustained so far right i mean in terms of the inception it's sustained so far because the human race never manipulated things of that nature uh, or some of the brands that were there they never manipulated right uh, good example in terms of uh, in olden days where you travel with a fellow passenger whatever they offer you happily accepted and ate, ate it today do you accept anything that a fellow passenger gives you until and unless you have established an element of trust 
you don't accept food from a fellow passenger right not only in a country like india but elsewhere also because we have gone into scenarios where we have read news that fellow passengers have offered something which have caused uh, you know utmost damage to the person who have eaten whether it was a stale food it was poisoned food or somebody wanted to use that as an option to you know cause damage to the rest of the people so when once you get that point registered in your mind your ability to accept that goes down significantly so imagine you have read a news in the paper saying that so and so brand uh, was found suboptimal in terms of uh, getting their organic produce from farm to the store will you ever buy that brand again not really before okay. that you have taken everything on face value mm-hmm. right you have to, because there was no uh, background information to distrust that particular brand but once you have got a reference information where the where it has been proven that the brand is not trustable always will you continue to will you continue to use the old methods you will not use the old methods then what will you do hey this is fantastic uh, prove to me that this is actually been done right? right and which means the 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 producer of those apples have to now put in systems where the data gets captured right from the farm to the point the data gets delivered at the store this is nothing but what walmart did called uh, food uh, food trust a blockchain network called Walmart Food Trust where they said from farm to fork from farm to store they will track it which means that everybody who is involved in the ecosystem or in the supply chain right from the farmer who produces it uh, right from the person who applies uh, you know uh, applies nutrients or whatever it is it's organic so there are no pesticides that are applied over there uh, right from the person who collects them and then keeps it in the cold chain and uh, right to the person who collects it from the cold chain and distributes to the store and right to the store clerk who is custodian of that before it is picked up by the end customer so that there that entire holy grail which is there everybody sh- should be able to generate data in a trusted fashion nobody should be able to manipulate that particular data and that data is packaged in a simple format for you to make a decision yes this is trustable that's how the blockchain system comes into place mm-hmm. very interesting very very interesting and thanks for again taking us through the journey i'm just curious last question on this on this segment right in terms of so who has the onus of actually using this blockchain is it the merchant is it the seller who takes yeah. the initiative set up the blockchain yeah so there okay. are two two ways it is which in which it is incepted uh, the first one is obviously the utopian world uh where the blockchain runs by itself uh there is no single party who is controlling it there's a foundation or a trust which comes with, with what we call as the code of practice for example a bitcoin.org for bitcoin uh ethereum.org for uh, ethereum 
and likewise there are many many uh, blockchains which are called as the public blockchains they are also called as decentralized autonomous organizations that means not a single party is controlling them uh, that is the utopian implementation of blockchain and we know it's too early for us to get into those kind of a scenario the second one is what we call as the private blockchain which is a quasi blockchain or a hybrid blockchain where one party like um, uh, walmart pro, uh, supported by ibm they set up the food trust and then all the other suppliers have become a part of that particular food trust in addition to walmart but the network has been hosted by ibm and the walmart together and then the other people have to come and join the network but this is better than the scenario of school and the student which which i mentioned to you because here nothing can be opaque once you join that particular network which is the food trust from walmart and ibm whatever transaction that happens by whomever it is the individual ideally the others will be able to look at a transaction and say whether it is a genuine transaction or a fraudulent transaction so that's the second form of the blockchain which we call as the uh, private and permissioned uh, blockchains and do they charge money for this for example ibm and um... yeah in terms of it all depends absolutely because you're getting a, a utility out of that right if there was no utility out of that then uh, people wouldn't pay money here uh, you know think about the brands needn't spend too much in advertisements to say that uh, they are the most trusted ones uh, mm -hmm. there is no need to print additional collateral additional stickers all that they need to print is a qr code and once you scan the code you will know for example you know frito lay uh, wafers potato wafers you can track it right up to the source or the farm where the potatoes have come and how they have been treated during the entire supply chain um, today we we just take it on a face value right because you believe that it's okay to buy a packet of uh, frito lays in a walmart and then consume open the packet and consume it but god forbid some wrong hap wrong incidents happen with that consumption nobody is going to consume just by opening the packet and popping them up right because or munching them they they, they need to they need to first look at the data and then once it is reliable and they uh, come to a, a conclusion that yes this is safe to have because the data is trustable the data is not manipulative in nature this is safe to have then only the consumption will happen mm -hmm. okay okay that makes sense and shifting gears now uh, we've been talking about real world use cases uh, yeah. it would be nemis to have you here and not talk about tech mahindra and how it's leading yeah. From the front in the blockchain right. space. So, could you could you share the high level um, briefly? What are we really talking about when we say tech Mahindra and blockchain in the same sentence? And then break us down of uh, for us. What does it mean for you on a day to day basis? Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating journey. Uh, you know, it's a journey that commenced in terms of where enterprises, global enterprises, were not even looking at blockchain as a 
uh, game changer or as a uh, as a choice for uh, as a solution set for number of complex problems that they have we've implemented them in multiple areas we've implemented them for telcos in india to protect their end customers uh, from uh, uh, end customers from spam calls and spam text uh, we've implemented it uh, in uh, for supply chains for example we were able to import uh, a ocean container of mangoes from brazil and then we shipped them to the port rotterdam port in netherlands from rotterdam port we delivered via road to liverpool and nowhere the consignment was stopped to check what was there in inside the container or whether the duty has been paid it's called as frictionless international trade today it doesn't happen the containers will be stopped uh, they are inspected duties uh, uh, are levied and they are assessed not once but multiple times over before the goods reach end consumers uh, we've implemented uh, many 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 such things you know and and again from a blockchain perspective the other thing that is going to impact us in a major way is in what we call as the world of web 3 we are currently at web 2 or web 2.5 just to differentiate between what is web 3 and what is other forms of the web there are three things that you cannot do today right on the web uh, you don't have the right to monetize for instance you have uh, you have written a wonderful poem and then you published it uh, you don't even know who has copied it uh, downstream on the internet and whether they have sold that poem to a publisher offline you will never ever get to know about that which is the right, which is you don't have the right to monetize uh, you don't have the right to forget you have done some post on internet and then you regretted that that shouldn't have been there by the time you deleted it your good friends have already reposted it multiple times on the internet which means you do not have the right to forget and right to monetize if you don't have the right to monetize and right to forget automatically you do not have right to control all these things are going to be addressed by web 3.0 and that's number 1 and number 2 uh, what it is going to do is the centralized infrastructures that i have spoken to you about uh, unfortunately they are all uh, you know uh, password driven authentication so some server validates you and you have to give a password to authenticate yourself whereas in web3 you will have authentication without passwords which is called as passwordless authentication and if there are no passwords what are the cyber actors are going to steal today they are stealing your passwords and then gaining unauthorized access so we at techm uh bring all these to fruition and then we bring all these to enterprises to address some of the fundamental challenges that they face in their business day in and day out um, and give better experience to the end customers either give better experience to end customers or uh, reduce the total cost of operation or introduce a new revenue stream that's that's what we we've been doing with blockchain at tech mahindra with several companies in different parts of the world so i'm thinking of parallels here because you gave an example a few minutes back about walmart and ibm how they're working yeah, together right. to create food trust 
so that they can drag food from the source farm to the table to the shop on the department similarly you you also shared about how tech mahindra is working with uh, organizations to source farms mm. right so in terms of drawing parallels could we say that what ibm is doing ibm created the blockchain walmart is as a enterprise right. leveraging that blockchain similarly tech mahindra is creating that blockchain and then organizations mm. enable organizations to use that blockchain for their Correct. own purposes okay so who um, in this scenario who has the onus to work with multiple stakeholders because you also gave an example of how it was a frictionless freight transfer right from rotterdam to liverpool in the uk to india possibly yeah. so there are border customs involved there are multiple entities involved right so it is not just tech mahindra and just one more entity there are multiple yeah, entities yeah, because of value chain the supply chain so right. how do you work with these multiple entities yeah in terms of uh, so basically blockchain is all about a ecosystem play you cannot have blockchain with uh, one participant in the blockchain it doesn't make any sense it's all about ecosystem so it, it, uh, it the way you would like to i mean the way everybody works with these entities is there are two fundamental pivots the first pivot is the regulation uh, for in case of india with regards to the spam calls and the spam text uh, the fcc equivalent in india which is trai telecom regulatory authority of india they said enough is enough and this needs to stop and they mandated that all the telcos the digital marketeers that uh, work with the telcos and uh, the subscribers have to come together in a network like uh, blockchain Uh, so th- th- there was a big regulatory push and in even in united states we are seeing that for example fed had mandated that trips which are there in united states they are losing business to fintechs so the fed said uh, trips can now set up their own blockchain nodes to facilitate uh, mo- uh, money transfer and money remittances in a much faster and cheaper way and so there's a regulatory push and once the regulatory push comes then everybody has to work towards that that's number one number two you look at uh, you know the erstwhile ibm trade lens which was set up with ibm and musk musk as an ocean carrier or ibm uh, uh, you know walmart food trust or blockchain and transport alliance beta so these are all industry bodies which are coming together because they know that there are fundamental challenges with the way the business is done today that fundamental challenge is also coming because not all businesses are born digital you have brick and mortar businesses who came up with offline processes and they have um, tampered their offline processes or manipulated their offline processes to meet online requirements which means they are suboptimal they are not up to the mark and they have to change that's where the associations have come into the play and then say the old method of working does not help so we are coming together we are put in a consortium we will come up with what is called as a code of practice if it resonates with you join us because you are only going to benefit from, from this because of these initiatives whether it is orchestrated by the government orchestrated by the association or orchestrated by a large corporation like a musk or a walmart the blockchain networks have come into the play honestly that that makes a lot of sense because yes i mean that is the biggest 
challenge so to speak to make this actually live and about in the real world right okay. so i get that um and then looking at the picture behind the scenes rajesh right so when all of these things are happening these are heavy heavy lifting tasks right so you need uh, a team of power hitters to actually make it happen right. and just one person cannot do the job so how do you absolutely create that team how do you build that ecosystem to have more players of course you also talked about partnering with other, other companies yeah so well and good but for each company for you for your team so how how do you construct your team what does it take to do yeah, that yeah in terms of you know you have to keep on evangelizing again and again and again uh, you know if you look at history the mosses uh, promised the promised land and the evangelized 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 and there's a significant of human race followed mosses crossed over and then we are still surviving because that set of people believed in what he said and till that belief got uh, gathered he was you know like a gospel he was evangelizing it again and again and again right and we see that in multiple forms and shapes in uh, different parts of the civilization and different parts of the history of this world uh, so a conviction second a uh, solid evangelization evangelization is not about tech tech is only uh, incidental evangelization is about solving fundamental problems that are there If, you know you evangelize tech you will not get anything what you need to evangelize is enough that we have been able to make adjustments with these problems so far no need to make any adjustments going forward because earlier the tech was not available to uh, by, uh, to uh, to cure them whereas now the tech is there to solve them and to address them as a result of which focus on the end outcome what is the benefit it is going to give to a business and to an end user and evangelize that particular benefit uh, over a period of time time and again that's when you will definitely get that additional power number 1 mm-hmm. number 2 uh, you know then while there are many many fencers there are many laggards there are selective set of people who always make this leap of faith right again history tells us and so how do you identify those small set of people who have done the leap of faith and then get them as part of your team they could be found in a startup company they could be found in industry associations uh, they could be they could be found uh, uh, working for the partner teams of large organizations like ibm microsoft oracle sap and various other things so i don't think there is uh, a one magic formula to address that it's a combination of uh, various various things in terms of one is self belief of the person who is doing this because the person believes that yes there is a genuine benefit and mm-hmm. the, uh, just the belief is not important the person should be able to articulate it to the others so that the others also understand that what this guy is saying is actually true and is not a loony guy to take take us down a garden path and then the rest is to get the team in uh, team in place and to to your last point to get the team in place right so here you imagine you're talking to a bunch of young professionals young students 
who want to join Tech Mahindra, who want to be a part of your team and help the cause. Right. What should we do? What should we learn? Right. So because it is not just coming and saying hi, can I be part of your team? But it was also doing okay. some work, gaining okay. those uh, skills so that we are the okay. right people to join your team. So young professionals and young students, what would you tell them? to learn how to yeah, do they, it from multiple languages. Right? See, the, uh, the good thing is the learning got so democratized in today, the digital world. Uh, uh, no more uh, access is a problem. It's the intent which is a problem. Uh, now there are enough channels for other people to get occupied and not to learn. So the first one is to create a solid intent to learn. And once you have created a solid intent to learn the access is always available and that access could be uh you know github that access could be slack that access could be uh you know a lot of online projects that are that are happening that access could be blockchain foundations that have been established by uh, different people uh, so one is that the second one is what is that you want to learn there are two things that they can learn uh, one they can learn about industry verticals and then become so conversant and familiar with the industry problems it will resonate to them naturally that these are the problems that time has come to be solved and these problems can be solved by so and so technology number one number two if you want to learn the technology per se there are enough things that one can do one can start learning uh, coding uh, they can do uh, they can do projects on github uh, they can learn javascripting they can learn python they can learn uh, blockchain uh, uh, specific uh, coding aspects like uh, solidity which is used for smart contracts in uh, ethereum uh, they can they can they 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 can understand the integral part of uh, you know for example how a bitcoin network works and most of my genesis team i have sourced it from those channels either they're so passionate about blockchain blockchain or they have uh, done something on their own somebody has created a crypto wallet somebody has worked for a blockchain exchange somebody has uh, looked at smart contracts in blockchain not because some company has given them an experience it is out of their own will and volition that they have gone to communities that are available in online and then became a member of that community and learned everything grounds up that makes sense and what about people who are not from the technical background technology background right not from engineering background yeah that's uh, that's why i said in the the first option that i gave in terms of uh, you can either become a functional expert or you can become a technical expert sure. there is no middle path and there is no third option that is available so to become a functional expert expert you have to uh, learn the uh, industry and the vertical so much that you know uh, so much that you are proficient in that particular vertical and your mind is uh, started to buzz with ideas because once you become proficient you will understand what is archaic what is not working what is suboptimal and all that stuff so you take the functional stream the other one is obviously the technical stream when the functional guy and comes and says this is not the way the supply chain should be for example the uh, ocean freight of uh, brazilian mangoes from brazil to liverpool 
you know they could have gone through a normal method of sending documents ahead uh, stopping the shipment at every checkpoint and then transmitting those goods it would have taken much longer and more expensive but they question the status quo in the industry and once they question the status quo in the industry they knew exactly what to be done then they go to the technical consultant and say hey i need a system i need a software i need a platform like this why don't you you know uh, configure that and that the configuration process starts understood understood i have one more interesting topic i think probably the most interesting that i want to touch upon uh, which is yeah. brands not just tech mahindra right but the brands in india using blockchain leveraging web3 so mm. how are we with the time just wanted to check with you yeah sure in terms of uh, you know yesterday itself i was le- uh, reading a data point when i started this journey circa 2015 16 uh there are very few people in india who were talking about uh, blockchain and all the uh, jargon the lingo or rather the language of blockchain very very few people to the point that i uh, set up a special interest group with uh, nascom which is the national association of uh, software uh, services companies in uh, india and then we did boot camps we went from company to company we did boot camps for the senior leaders about what the te- what the technology can deliver from a business side and we also went to the uh, you know junior and mid level people encouraging them to get trained on this particular technology how to code how to set up a blockchain platform what infrastructural elements that are required and stuff like that and yesterday when i looked at that particular data point today india has 12% of the blockchain workforce in india uh, you know 2015 16 was zero to 12% of the global workforce this is a huge uh, progression uh, earlier we didn't have these people because many of uh, many of uh, people needed to be cryptologists many of those people uh, needed to be you know hardcore coders hardcore technicians and uh, probably uh, you know the it workforce and the future workforce or the workforce that is yet to come into the it industry we're focusing on opportunities uh, elsewhere but once we have democratized this learning through industry bodies industry associations many many people have uh, you know embraced it with uh, open arms and that resulted in a sizable portion of workforce 11% of the global web3 workforce in india is not a small number mm-hmm. very true when what about brands um, how are businesses what stage of the life cycle are businesses right now are they just learning and observing are they probably trialing and testing in their own um, uh, environments are they doing partnerships or something entirely different where are these companies in india the leaders of companies in india where it's are they it's a mix and it's a mix and match you know some people are in the uh, you know uh, they are the front runners in adoption uh, because they they convinced in terms of what are the benefits some people are not front runners they still want to wait and watch because nothing earth shattering has happened Uh, whether it is a demand from the rent customers or a demand from their own board uh, nothing or chattering has happened so they're just waiting and uh, watching and uh, uh, 
significant amount of people are li- still living in the bliss because then they're not even aware in terms of what is going to hit them in the next uh, two to three years. So uh, I wouldn't say that everybody is aware. Uh, it's not the case. But people who are aware, they basically make the uh, the friend mover advantage and they're reaping, uh, reaping benefits. And uh, if you'd like to share some some uh, names of organizations and what they're doing, that would be great. But again, that might not be possible. Yeah, in terms of many people, you know, Ford, uh, many, many banks are doing a lot of stuff in this area, both in US, United States, uh, Asia Pacific, a lot of stock exchanges wanted to internalize blockchain, Australian stock exchange, many financial Companies uh, want to do digital assets. I mean, the list is uh, endless. Uh, India, India specifically. So India specific. Uh, all the telcos have embraced blockchain because of the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India. So any telco worth its salt in India has already implemented blockchain, whether it is Airtel, Rio, Jio, Vodafone. Uh, Reliance Communications, Tata Tele, they've already embraced it. Uh, from a bank's perspective, ICICI Bank, Yes Bank, SDFC Bank, State Bank of India, they've already embraced uh, blockchain uh, to bring in efficiencies in their business processes. A bank like Union Bank of India has already embraced a Web3 model by building a banking channel in Metaverse uh, that was delivered by Tech Mahindra. Uh, then uh, associations like National Payments Corporation of India, they're a big, big adopter of uh, blockchain, primarily from a point of, uh, you know, settlements, authorization and settlements, reduce the amount of reconciliation that is required. Now, they are also the custodians of the, the tech for uh, um, central bank digital currencies, which is more of a Web3 payment product. Uh, your electronic money is more of a Web2 payment product, whereas a CBDC is more of a Web3 payment product. NPCI has done that. ICICI has already rolled out. I'm a uh, CBDC customer for ICICI. Likewise, SDFC Bank has done. Um, now, uh, Securities Exchange Board of India is working with all the stock exchanges in India and also the stock market participants uh, to bring in blockchain so that uh, the settlement can happen in the same day of the trade. Today, if you do a trade on the stock exchange, settlement happens probably 24, 36, 48 hours later. But now they have mandated it and uh, National Stock Exchange has taken a pole position in that. So there's a lot that is happening. There's a lot, lot more that can happen. And hopefully the people who are doing the lot will motivate the other set of people to join the bandwagon. That's awesome. I mean, you're leading the pack pretty brilliantly right now. Um, So is the operating layer for all the examples that you just shared is uh, Tech Mahindra's blockchain um, or there are... Not, not, not. No, 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 no. It's not all Tech Mahindra's blockchain. There are multiple, multiple uh, people, multiple parties uh, who are involved. Uh, There's IBM, there's Hyperledger Foundation, there is COD, there's Tech Mahindra, there's Wipro, Infosys, TCS. Uh, So many, many people are involved. It's not just uh, Tech Mahindra alone. Understood. And so what's next for you? What are you looking at? What are 
you immediately i'm talking about the short term let's say 4 to 6 months probably what's something that you are focusing all your energy towards one of the major projects or uh initiative we're focusing a lot on the web3 uh, web3 is a compendium of multiple things uh, you know any web3 application that you take you cannot isolate and say there is no ai in it there is no cloud in it there is no robotic process automation in it there is no blockchain in it uh, you cannot do a web3 application or uh, emerging tech application for instance a metaverse without any of those underlying components you cannot build a metaverse without cyber security you cannot build a metaverse with edge uh, you cannot build a metaverse with uh, cloud workloads uh i mean without cloud workloads you cannot build a metaverse without augmented reality without mixed reality so all of these things are coming together in a unique way and representing themselves to define your business models for the businesses and the end customers understood appreciate that appreciate that uh, perspective well um that's that's most of it that is most of it and uh, just purely purely i enjoyed the conversation and what is the best way to reach you or get in touch with you if if people would like to do that up uh, linkedin twitter uh, these are the two channels where i'm easily accessible you also reached out to me on twitter akshit uh, so that channel works very well for me and yeah i mean i can vouch from my personal experience you're very efficient and very prompt uh, to respond and yeah giving the time as well so it's truly an honor that a pleasure man the honor is mine too